welcome to Solutions from the Yard, a candid discussion about life behind bars and its effect on society. We'll discuss reintegration or re-entry back into the community post-incarceration. Your host for this episode is Michael Dickerson L. Today we're going to revisit our topic, homelessness after re-entry leads to high recidivism. And uh, we was we we left off on a very uh, what I want to say touchy subject, you know, because um, it's something that we're going to really get back into because people need to know what's going on with your money. That's right. And where does it goes? And uh, you know, we we was basically touching on homelessness after reentry is expensive for taxpayers. And I asked the uh, brothers a question. Who benefits from expenses from taxpayers' dollars, and where does it go? And uh, brother Dietrich, um, you know, I want you to elaborate on that. Yes. How you doing? Well, my answer is the judicial system benefits from it because you know because I'm speaking on I don't see no change when it comes to homeless in my city and. Let's define homeless first of all, right? So, like I said before, that's anyone without your name on a deed, mortgage, lease. If you don't have that, you consider what's technically considered homeless. So, a lot of people, you know, navigate in that lane. But the true homeless, the ones that we truly see outside, under resourced, sleeping on, in, in, in outside on the ground. I don't see no change. I don't see none of the money's going to anything for any programs. I ain't seen a new development from the tax dollar that's geared towards homeless, the homeless shelter. I only, only one shelter I always known about in my life was that was Mitch Snyder building. That's mm. been forever. I didn't see no new development. I didn't seen a lot of new other developments, but I haven't seen nothing when it comes compared to the, to the homeless tax dollar. I haven't seen anything initiative or anything geared towards, and I hear a lot of money's being pushed around in the name of homeless for for that. But I haven't seen anything that's feasible that's going to be truly a benefit not only to the people that are homeless, but also the city as well, because it takes two sides, right? And for me personally, like I said, if you kill homeless, you're gonna kill incarceration. If you kill incarceration, you're gonna kill the homeless. So I don't think it's gonna I just rest my I'm gonna rest my mic. <laughs> well, Chuck, I know you're willing to play devil advocate with this. What, what, what you got to say? And and I'm looking at it from the perspective of when I looked at the, the mayor of District of Columbus budget, and she put in there under the title of reversing the homelessness in the District of Columbus. So she's saying that the money she allocating for Home to reverse homelessness or start the process was $24 million. And this is everybody. She didn't say $24 million for people that's uh, uh, returning citizens. She's saying everybody that falls up under the homeless category. Then she put $34 million into bike lanes. So now the question is who benefits from, who benefits from homelessness is major corporations. Who benefits from homelessness is like you said, the criminal justice, they can rebuild uh, another city jail, they can rebuild another jail, and 
So if if you build it, you're gonna feel it. Right. And the people that's gonna feel we just we we talked earlier, Mike, about how uh you criminalize homelessness. So now if you criminalize it, then the monies that taxpayers are paying are not going towards like renovating schools and making them uh shelters. It's not going towards like uh what you see some of the band dominions around the city and getting major corporations say, Well, we're gonna give you a tax credit for your development, but we want you also to take and pay for the renovation of these schools or these properties for the purpose of providing housing for uh, D.C. citizens. No. What you do, you give them tax credits, you put more money into the police's budget, you create, the, in the criminal justice system, the courts, the bailiffs. This is where the money, this is where the taxpayers' money going to. When you look at the budget, if you say I'm putting $24 million into reversing homelessness. This is taxpayers' money. That's where the budget coming from, taxpayers' money, right? So if I'm putting $24 million of your tax dollars into this, but I'm putting $34 million into bike lanes, I'm putting $52 million into police, I'm putting $92 million into building up a jail, that answers your question, where the money is going. Mm, so basically... uh. You know, when they take the taxpayers' dollars, that's a, what you kind of like explained was misappropriating funds. That's what it looked like. <laughs> because, uh, you know, instead of the money going exactly back into what it's supposed to, because if, if that's just like if I tell you, um, look, Chuck, I need some money from you. You know, I'm, 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 I'm going to get $20 from you, and I tell you where, what I'm going to do with the $20. But I turn around and do something totally opposite. What I'm gonna do with the twenty dollars, and, and, and that's basically what uh, you know what we are seeing in in the city when it comes to the taxpayers' dollars. It's not going exactly into what like you know like like Dietrich said to the change mm. because if you taking the taxpayers' dollars and and actually putting it back into what you say is supposed to go into, then you will see a change. But you, like I said, you never see the change because I see t tents everywhere. everywhere. And you got organizations, uh, you know, like the one that I work for. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody ain't paying us to do what we do. We just doing it because the organization has a love for the citizens of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, you know, we if you taking the taxpayers' dollars, why that ain't come to us? To do what we doing to help feed the homeless. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, that means, you know, we don't have to be no rocket scientists to see that. You know, because right. you see where the money is going. It's not coming to the proper places that's going to actually help solve the problem. And my, and I want, because I uh, we talked about this earlier, uh, going back to that right there, the organizations that's doing the work, that's providing services for homeless people, that's putting people in hotels, that's taking people in and finding them shelters, that's putting them in a position to get emergency. See, the, t the taxpayers' dollars, because it's a public safety, and we talked about how I say, like, reversing recidivism is also a public safety thing. So we know that it, it goes hand in hand. Why the money, why the taxpayers' money is not going towards those things? You know what I'm saying? Why the taxpayers' money not going towards organization is saying, okay, I'm going to provide you with a hotel, and uh, if you give me more money, I'm going to renovate these houses and put some people in there. No, I'm not a clock corporation, construction. You know, I'm not 
Donahue Corporation construction. So therefore, I don't get no tax. I'm not going to get no tax credit for that. What I'm going to get is the problem and not no money to solve it. Mm. Because, uh, you know, like, like you're saying, when that money get extracted, that money should be going to more public housing. Because if you want to <laughs> stop homelessness, then you got to create more homes. That's right. So therefore, by creating more, taking that taxpayer's dollars, one of the things you should be is trying to create more homes. That's right. And, and see, that's the thing what I, I, I saw about reentry, because that's what we're talking about. We are talking about returning citizens and how they are a part of the homelessness problem in recidivism rate. Mm-hmm. Because when brothers and sisters come home, the proper funds are not put into housing them. Mm-hmm. And see, you know, we didn't see, you know, the thing you got to go through with spadats. And uh, you got to have special spadat training. You know, why this? Why these funds are not going to the organizations so we can get these vouchers? You know, every organization you think that's in Washington, D.C., this reentry, what, should do vouchers. But why it's only select, you know what I'm saying? You got select uh, organizations that only have the vouchers. Those vouchers should be coming to every re-entry organization, you know, the way I see it. Yeah, that's a good point. You see what I'm saying? And and, and also, the SPADAT training should be done for every re-entry organization. Mm, It shouldn't be pick and choose who have what. There shouldn't be no picking and choosing because, you know, we got thousands and thousands on top of thousands of homeless people. So, therefore, if we got all these different reentry organizations, that's where the money should be going mm-hmm. to help us supply, you know, the uh, the, the supply and demand of return to citizens. You, you right. see what I'm saying? To that's keep right. the recidivism rate down that's because right. the recidivism rate is caused by what? The homelessness. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. This, this, Can- this, it's a deep topic. Go, you want to elaborate on the Diedrich again? I want to. If you have a question, I want to stop you, and I could probably see it. But go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, so I just want to make a point, right? And y'all making valid points, but if if they give the tax dollar money into A first, I mean, initiative as far as housing when it comes to returning citizen and have some type of uh, grid system, a point system, part of your release, your release plan. Every prisoner that's a DC citizen, prisoner that's a DC of uh, returning citizen should be have some type of housing uh, intake prior to them even coming home. It should be. Will you score it on this? Do you have proper housing with you before we release you back into our society? And we ain't holding you. We just want to know if you don't have proper housing, this is you score it here. So we need to go ahead and start the proper paperwork to make sure you don't commit no recidivism when you go back to our city. This is the how you really stop homelessness and that for people coming back and forth from prison. But like I said, I don't truly think that, you know, if, if I don't never have a home, how can I be? If I never owned a home or never had a home or anything of that nature, coming from years of, through the jurisdictional system, because it, go, it started to go all the way back, 
Because if you've seen a child was on at a high risk at an age of 16 or 17 years old or 15, whatever, and you knew he's going to be a high risk when he meet the age of adulthood, why we don't put a plan in early to, to go against it, to try to help him with the resources we have? Make sure, hey, we see that he come from a broken home and he's not going to be here this long, neither or his family. So let's put him up for success. Because if we don't, he's going to wreck terror in our neighborhood trying to be successful. So let's put him up for success. See, hey, man, you're going to need some type of proper housing because if you don't have nowhere to sleep at tomorrow, you're not thinking about nothing. Hmm, that's right. You, mean, you don't care about nothing. Now we know where the taxpayer's dollar goes. Now we're going to get back into the next insert. COVID-19 helped prove that cities can't address homelessness without criminalizing it. During the COVID-19 pandemic, cities changed the way they address homelessness to limit exposure to the virus. Many cities worked to keep, keep jail and prison populations low. In Denver, police interacted less with people experiencing long-term homelessness and made fewer arrests during the pandemic. Though this reduced the number of homeless people re-entering the system, it does not address other concerns related to unsheltered homelessness. Formerly incarcerated people experiencing homelessness after re-entry need programs that will provide shelter and necessary medical treatment. They also need access to mental health support among formerly incarcerated people, those with mental illness are more likely to experience homelessness and housing insecurity. In initiatives in New Jersey show that discriminalization, homelessness, and providing mental health services can work. The introduction of alternatives to incarceration and community-based treatment centers has reduced prison and pop. Prison populations by 37% since 1999. According to Patricia Kurgan, the causes of homelessness after being released from prison or jail are both systematic and relative of the extraordinary needs of people who are inevitably returning to the community. Successful models do exist for prisoners facing homelessness and warrant consideration for replaceability. One of the models Kurgan highlights is a program in Washington called the Reentry Housing Pilot Program. Through the program, more than 200 formerly incarcerated people receive safe and affordable housing and support services. The program showed a decline in new convictions and remission to prison. And, um, Brother, brother Charles, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a definitely getting to this question straightforward to you, and um, you know, because it mentioned the pivot program, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I want, I want to, um, you know, I want you to give, you know, your example from your own personal experience, you know, about, you know, what could have been done better to better help reentry during COVID, and and we recognize that. Remember when COVID came out, uh, the state of Maryland, Governor Hogan, and the District of Columbia, they was out in the forefront in terms of informing people and educating people. But what happened was you had uh, certain states' attorneys 
and Merlin Mosley and, and Merlin, she was saying, and Baltimore was saying, like, uh, get the Justice Department, get Trump and them on board to releasing people from the D.C. jails and from the from the detention centers because they one they was they didn't have no you know the high bail, so that was the first thing they was trying to do get people sent. But then once you got people released, they had no place to go. So now what could have been done was we go back to what we said earlier. You know the problem with this is you don't look at the prison industrial complex as it relates to uh, society. It's always a disconnect. So if you're looking at it from the perspective that these people coming back out, then you start doing things before they get out. And same thing with like when you seen COVID hitting the deck, first thing you should have been thinking about is you won't have to release them, have a plan or have a place to release them as opposed to have them released back into society with COVID as opposed to having a, a, a place where you spend your money, shelters, you spend your money to provide uh, safe havens for them to come. But that wasn't the case. And subsequently, a lot of people was released that had COVID and, and either passed away or was locked back up or passed it on and fell out in, you know, an unclaimed body in the alley. Mm. Mm, yeah, that, that's devastating right there. Dietrich, uh, what you want to say about this, uh, this question? During the pandemic, there was a lot of unexpected... Uh, changes that happened within the judicial system just in life period. And a lot of people, it was a lot of uh, unexpected releases that people did, you know, brothers wasn't even thinking that they had a chance. And but COVID hit, thank, you know, not not to be this um, sensitive towards the COVID-19 because a lot of people lost their lives, but it was a blessing for a lot of brothers because they didn't see no outcome and COVID opened the doors up. I agree with you. When it comes to, because it should have been a better plan, releasing you know some of these brothers with housing security, mm -hmm. because the government was shut down. Everything was shut down. That's right. You know, so <laughs> who they was gonna go to? Man, I I know a lot of brothers walking around within the city didn't have any form of identification during COVID, mm -hmm. right? And you walk, and that's a that's a that's a crime. Right there, you walking without no identification. Yeah, you better know it. Right? That's a, so it, it, it was a lot that was going on far as during the COVID. And I feel, you know, it, it was always two prong, two sides to everything. It's something that you it, it, it's a something that you're gonna take from it that was good. And that was the release of a lot of brothers and sisters that got the scene to get to come home during the COVID. And then it was also the part of, there was a lot of brothers and sisters that was dying inside them prisons due to COVID, the way they was being treated. And the way, and then the way a lot of them was coming back out here during the height of COVID, mm -hmm. didn't know how to adapt to the world, <laughs> let alone you adapting to it before COVID. And then you coming home during the height of a pandemic and trying to adapt to these barriers of being a, a returning citizen. Yeah, I think there's a lot of brothers and sisters that's still out there in the streets now that came home during the COVID because that's our homeless today because they went undocumented for for the buries that they, they needed to be, uh, have serve to help them be successful coming home. Mm, that's good stuff there. Mm, um, you know, uh, I, I came home in the height of COVID. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one thing I seen... Um, 
I think they was trying to really escape from a lot of collateral damage. Mm, come on. And you know, and when they when they when they released a lot of us, like like you know, like you said, Charles, um, they didn't have no plan. So, but their their idea of releasing a lot of us to you know to keep a lot of collateral damage from in prison. Mm. So that was one of the reasons why they let us out. Because now you know, if a lot of guys and brothers and sisters was dying in prison, now you got to face certain lawsuits. You know, now we got to come up with a whole lot of ways to spend money that we don't want to spend. That's right, Mike. You know, so they was basically doing it. It was, it was to me, it was a money thing yeah, from what right. I saw. Yeah, I got you. you know, because, you know, and then a lot of guys that came home and, and it still fed the justice system because a lot of guys that came home, they had clauses in their release mm-hmm. because they was basically saying once the COVID epidemic uh, went down, you had to come back to jail. How you going to release me then bring me back to prison? You know, so therefore it was it was a lot of, you know, just unjust and, and just, you know, wild stuff that was going on. Then you had a lot of uh it was just a lot of law breaking. Mm. Everybody was breaking law. You know, everybody was standing on the corner smoking weed. Every just was going crazy because the police, they didn't uh, you know, they was giving the, the no hands on policy. Mm. So guess what? You know, Washington DC turned to an escape from New York. <laughs> you know, it was just lawless. Uh, people just was doing whatever they wanted to do, and but they said, "Hey, once this pandemic go down, we gonna start back locking y'all back up." You know, so therefore, to me, I think from my point of view, it was just basically just um allowing you to become worse. Mm. The pandemic to me made things worse, and and and, and far as when it come to the justice system, mm-hmm. because now you know now you have so many people. That was used to abusing being lawless. Now you you didn't created another whole criminal. You know we didn't created another whole criminal. And um, you know it, it, it's just like I say, it's going back into how you can extract money from the taxpayers. Hey, mm. we need more policing. Mm. We need a little more money. Let mm. me let me grab a little more from you now. You know, so to me it was like it was just a way to make more money. Mm. You know, and, and that's what I saw out of it. It was just a way to make more money. And, and just, you know, the way uh, to, you know, cause the chaos and then come up with the solution, mm. you know. Premeditation. And, and, yeah, basically. And that's all it really was. You know, it I mean, for me, to me, it was premeditated because, you know, like Deidre said, man, there was a lot of good that came out of it because I came home. I wasn't supposed to come home until 2023. So it released me three years later, but it also hindered me as well because speaking for myself, when I came home, I did 24 years. I needed mental health assessment, mm. and it was not there. And see, that's why I said, man, you released a lot of brothers and sisters that needed help, and they couldn't get the help because of the shutdown. So once the shutdown came about, man, you really created a more, like I say, a criminalized system. Because if I come home, can't get no help, can't get no job, uh, you know, everybody was like on a no hands policy. You know, you got to wear your mask everywhere. Guess what? When I come home, what I'm going to do? If, if it wasn't for me, just stay fast and just stuck on surviving and not breaking law. You know, and that I would have went back to jail mm. because it was nothing for me. You know, it was nothing for me. And, and, and you know, I think that it, it did some good, but it did a lot of harm. Mm. It did a lot of harm. You know, and like I say, I think I think it it it, it more so 
um, you know, perpetuated the crime in Washington, D.C. And let's get into this uh, this last insert. And this says, alternatives to criminalized homelessness exist and deserve more attention from legislators. And it says, Urban Institute put together a series of resources to help advocate and lawmakers evaluate alternatives to policy policing homelessness. In their most recent report, Alternatives to Arrest and Police Response to Homelessness, researchers investigated the connection between unsheltered homelessness and recidivism. Like other justice reform in initiatives popping, popping up around the country, one of their takeaways is that police must fundamentally change the way they interact with the homeless. Mm. Now, let's, let's, let's get into that, you know, how they interact with the homeless. Um, um, I, wonder, I just want, you know, us to really ponder on that, how they interact with the homeless. And, um, you know, we, we got the, uh, you know, George Floyd situations, mm. all these different situations that we have. Um, um, you know, and I, and I just asked the question and said, you know, and this, um, you know, what alternatives should have been viewed by legislators? Mm-hmm. Chuck, Chuck, give me something on that. I think, and, and we, and keeping our, our, our mission offering solutions, I think the way legislation look at it is one fund. Organizations that's providing services for homelessness—that's that's one of the things that could be done. And when you put the money into these organizations that's out here that's actually doing the work, then homeless people, the people that's being homeless, they'll know. They'll come. They'll know I'm coming to Voice for a Second Chance. I'm gonna get a place to stay. They know if I'm going to near my prime, I'm gonna get a place to stay. I'm bread for I'm gonna get a place to stay. Strive, I'm gonna get a place to stay. They know if I go to these organizations because the money's there and they're providing housing, then I'm going to get a place. So the legislators should legislate. That's where the, that's when you go have your budget hearing. You should be saying your budget hearings on where, who is providing services for homeless. And therefore, we want to make sure that they get the money. And so when the mayor put a budget together, the legislators saying like, well, we want uh, this $90 million to go to these organizations. We want this $100 million to go to this organization, these organizations, because they provide services for homelessness. And we want to take, we ain't defunding the police. We're saying that your budget mm-hmm. should be shrunk based on what you're doing. Because if you're out there policing and criminalizing homeless people, that's a sad commentary. Deidre, mm-hmm. what you think? Well, me, I personally think that we need to address the problem from the root, right? And as far as dealing with the legislators, dealing with the laws and stuff, there's a few laws when it comes to housing in general that birth homeless amongst the people, right? I've been living, and I'm going to give you a few examples, a few examples of what, some of the laws and bylaws and, and, and rules and guides that that's placed in place to to uh, impregnate the homeless nation population uh, population and then give birth to homeless. For example, you living in certain uh, housing 
authority pro, um, buildings, and I don't want to call the projects because that's what it, it, the project was. The name of the thing coming from another. It was all the project putting people in there in a, in in a particular place under resource. Take everything away from them and watch them do what they do. So it's a project. That's why the name come from project. The name. So I don't want to keep holding on to that name. So speaking about the homeless, about how that how that generated. As a man, I don't care what race you is. <laughs> I ain't, ain't pulling red. It don't matter what race you is. If I catch a charge, I'm no longer allowed back in my house with my family. Mm. So what did this do? This birth homeless. Now we have a we have a mother and a family in there that needs the man to help produce big to help. I have three kids. I can't pay this bill without my husband in this house no more because he's not no longer allowed here. If he come on his property, get locked up. See how it all works? Mm-hmm. And he gets locked up. So now she have to put in for the move or move because she don't have, she can't afford this no more. It pregnates homeless. So now she's going to be considered homeless until she finds a place. Now she got to go into the shelter with her babies. He can't come to, to follow his family to the shelter because he's a man. They don't accept men in this shelter, even if you're married and your kids in there. All this, all the laws and everything is geared towards man pregnating the homeless population and also keep birthing more homeless people. Because we, like I always say, and I keep going back to it, it's part of the conveyor belt. It's part of one wash one hand, one wash the other hand. One feed one, one feed another. It's all feeding one one thing, and that's the dollar. Mm-hmm. To generate the dollar. And I don't really true see no true legislation or laws that's being placed that really put a dent in homeless because I'm out there every day in the community and I feed them and I, I talk to them. I'm I'm there. So I don't see no true change. I hear a lot of talk. And that's my end of my that, that's my I'm sticking to that. <laughs> there you have it to uh for uh you know solutions from the yard. Thank you thank you very much. You've been listening to Solutions from the Yard. This podcast is presented by Voices for a Second Chance, a comprehensive reentry program that provides culturally appropriate, trauma-informed, gender-specific and peer-based services. For more information, go to info at vscdc.org or visit our website at www.vscdc.org.